The first reading tonight is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, starting at verse 11. That's Matthew 27, starting at verse 11. Jesus is before Pilate. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Our second reading follows on immediately from the passage that we have just read. uh, Matthew 27, starting at verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, 
they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Our third reading this evening is taken from Isaiah chapter 52, starting at verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Well, during these uh, three evenings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, we're going to uh, take a, a slow look at Isaiah 52, just those three verses tonight, and then on into chapter 53. And uh, um, these are known as, as we looked at yesterday and we're looking at over these three evenings. They're called the servant songs because they refer to the servant. And here in, in chapter 52 and verse 13, see my servant will act wisely. And we saw yesterday that the servant uh, was originally uh, looking uh, and using that to describe Israel, the nation. But they could not successfully fulfill the role of the servant. And so the idea of a servant is now one individual. And although it's written 700 and more years before Jesus, it gives us an extraordinary description of Good Friday. So let's pray and ask that God would speak to us this evening. Well, Father, we pray that as we look at just these three verses this evening, and just quite briefly, we pray, Lord, that as we take a, a slow look at these and then a slow walk through chapter 53 that you might teach us that you might speak to our hearts and our minds and you might help us to understand ever more deeply what you have done for us we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, these servant songs are, are, are carefully crafted poems. And these three verses are, are talking about victory through suffering. Victory through suffering. And uh, in fact, verses 13 to 15 are rather like being on a swing. Remember that? It may be quite a few years since you were last on a swing. Um, and uh, in verse 13, it's up, and in verse 14, it's down, and in verse thir- uh, 15, it goes up again. Um, it's the same person on the seat. The swing is going up and down and up and down. And verse 13 is talking about victory and glory. Then verse 14 is talking about suffering and disfigurement. 
And then verse 15, it goes up again and is talking about victory and glory again. Victory and glory, suffering and disfigurement, victory and glory. Now, some might say, um, why don't we just read this? And pause and let it sink in and then reread it and so on. And that's a very good idea. In fact, you might want to do that before uh, you go to bed this evening or maybe in the morning um, or whatever. Um, But I think some explanation is needed because I think that will help to enrich our reading. So verse 13, the swing is up. It's gone forward and it's talking about glory and victory and it starts see my servant will act wisely and uh, or I rather like the old word behold that's really what it means behold behold my servant will act wisely it is watch this is important watch this work of salvation being accomplished by the servant's And he says, my servant will act wisely. Or if you look just there at the end of the line, if you've got a church by the little bean at the bottom, it says, or will prosper. My servant will prosper. In other words, when he says that, it means he will achieve what he set out to do. He will be successful. Now, uh, in Christian circles, we don't always, uh, you know, we we shrink back a little bit about, oh, he's a very successful this, that, or the the other. Um, But actually, this is telling us that the cross of Christ is a wise act, a good decision, an act which achieved a purpose it was designed for. It's telling us that the cross of Christ was a success to bring salvation, to bring the turning back of God's wrath on human sin, to bring eternal life to light through the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. The cross was the ultimately wise act in human history if you like, the best decision ever. And we see um, then in verse the, uh, the second half of verse 13, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And I believe that is talking about Jesus' resurrection and his ascension and then his exaltation or his glorification in heaven. Now, from Isaiah's perspective writing those hundreds of years before Christ, um, he is looking forward. He's looking ahead to something that will happen in the future. But from our perspective, looking back now 2,000 years to Jesus, we know that Jesus has been raised, lifted up, and highly exalted. So we'll know now of Jesus being currently today in heaven raised lifted up and highly exalted this is glory this is the victory of the servant that is being celebrated here jesus now as i was looking forward to it at some point in the future he wouldn't have known this was someone called jesus 
He just knew that there was a servant that he was writing about. I guess he probably didn't really fully understand the implications of this. But as he writes this and he looks forward to it, and as we see it now and we look back to it, and as we see it now as a present reality of Jesus who was raised and is lifted up and is now highly exalted sharing the glory of God the Father after his victorious death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven. But what a death. What a death. So the swing is at the top there, the front of the swing, glory and victory. And then in verse 14, it comes spinning back down again. And we see disfigurement and suffering just as there are many who were appalled at him his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness and then that will link into verse 15 so the swing goes up again to the glory and victory but first we need to see the disfigurement and the suffering uh, we'll see here that the verse 14 begins with just as, and then verse 15 begins with so he. So it is just as the, the, uh, the disfigurement and the suffering that Jesus went through, so he, and then he goes on to talk again about glory and victory. But let's look at verse 14. Eusebius tells uh, of martyrs, and he writes of them and he talks about them that they were they were torn by scourges down to deep seated veins and arteries so that the hidden contents of the recesses of their bodies their entrails and organs were exposed to sight and then like Mattia a real expert, modern expert on Isaiah, if ever there was one. And he wrote this, Jesus' suffering left him more damaged than any other ever had been. And indeed prompted the question whether what remained could even be human. Let me read that again. Jesus' suffering left him more damaged than any other ever had been and indeed prompted the question whether what remained could even be human. Just as there were many who were appalled at him in verse 14. Uh, that's a word that's used of devastated places. It's a word that's used of the devastation that might come on, say, uh, a widow, the impact on a widow through the loss of her husband, for instance, and especially in those days far ago. And that is Jesus, the suffering servant, our saviour disfigured in his suffering and the impact of that is huge augustine wrote christ's deformity is what gives form to you 
If he had been unwilling to be deformed, you would never have got back the form you lost. So he hung on the cross, deformed. But his deformity was our beauty. Jesus, the suffering servant, our saviour, disfigured in his suffering for us. Another swing is right back, right at the back, and now it starts moving forward again. And we've seen the glory and the victory. We've seen the disfigurement and the suffering. And now we're going back up again to the glory and the victory once more. And here, look at verse 15. So he will sprinkle many nations... And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they are not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Many who are appalled. And he will sprinkle many nations. Um, in the, uh, the margin there at the bottom of the NIV, he will sprinkle many nations. You look at little D at the bottom. Uh, or so will many nations be amazed at him. Um, it could mean that. Uh, amazed is really startled. Or, oh, it makes you jump. And, uh, oh, you startled me. That kind of uh, uh, is what, it, what it's saying. But when you look at the context, and when you look at the fact that uh, the word, if that indeed is is the, is the word, is a is a textual thing there, um, uh, it it's never used anywhere else in the Old Testament to mean startled. It is really highly likely that Isaiah really did mean sprinkled. So he will sprinkle many. Nations, as in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. I think it's telling us just simply this, that many nations will be sprinkled with Jesus' blood. That people from many nations, every nation, will hear about the blood of Jesus, will respond in faith to the blood of Jesus. And as they receive forgiveness at the foot of the cross, they are sprinkled by the forgiving blood of Jesus. I think it's saying that the good news of Jesus' victorious death will be taken to the world. And people from many nations will believe and so be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It's a great promise. And it's a wonderful prediction of the gospel going to many nations. And thank God it came here so that we could believe. Thank God for the person who told you about Jesus and his blood sprinkled for you and for me. That we may believe, that we may be forgiven, that we may stand under the sprinkling blood of Jesus and receive his forgiveness because he took God's wrath as his blood was sprinkled in our place.
And the rest of verse 15. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see. And what they, what they have not heard they will understand. How are we to understand that? Well, I think in the same way, actually. In other words, that kings will be silent because of the proclamation of the gospel. Because they will understand and they will they will see and understand and be silent before God. They will recognize their own sin and their need of a savior and a disfigured savior who shed his blood for them, who sprinkled his blood for them. And uh, I believe it's talking there about kings who have not been told and haven't heard But the promise is that they will see because they will be told and they will hear and they will understand. So in verse 15, uh, um, even kings, even leaders and rulers and governors and presidents and prime ministers and secretaries of state and, uh, and all the rest of it will be told and will hear and will see and will understand the wonderful good news of a servant who acted wisely, who was disfigured and suffered for our sake, who sprinkled blood avails for nations, every nation across this world, across this globe and down human history. And so we've seen this evening glory and victory. And then dis- because of this disfigurement and suffering, And then the swing going back to the glory and victory that we know Jesus has achieved for us as he sprinkled his blood for us on the cross. Let's pray before I hand back to Ben. Lord, these are extraordinary words. And perhaps all the more so as we think they were written so far in advance of the person to whom they happened. And Lord, we praise you for the the willingness to suffer disfigurement and suffering on our behalf. And we praise you that that was good, successful, a wise death, an achieving death for us. A a death that achieved glory as you return to heaven and as you are now seated on the throne of glory for all eternity. And we praise you, Lord, that your death means that we can be raised with you, seated with you, and even extraordinarily share your glory. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your sprinkled blood. Amen.